0: Drumming is a universal language. Everyone can and does create rhythm. You don't need a drum kit. You don't even need sticks. It can be your hands on your legs. Clicking your tongue inside your mouth. Wooden spoons on pots and pans. Footsteps. It's the musical equivalent of jumpers for go posts. This is Flashbang Wallet, the interview. My name is Chris Payne, I'm a photographer and this is the first episode of Flashbang Wallop, The Interviews. I think it's very appropriate that Mike Joyce of the Smiths is the first episode, seeing as it was Mike who kind of inspired the whole idea behind this project. He was involved with an event which was organised by Drummer Pete Marshall and it was at home in Manchester and Pete and Mike and Stephen Morris were all interviewed by fellow drummer Mark Radcliffe and during Mike's interview he told the story that he tells at the start right at the start of this interview uh, about his mum and his sofa and it was at that point I'd been looking for a, a photography project involving music and portraits for months and months and at this point when Mike told the story a large light bulb appeared above my head and that was it and here we are now almost 30 interviews and portraits later. So uh, I hope you enjoy listening to as much as I enjoyed talking to Mr Mike Joyce. remember the first time that you actually hit something, Um, not a a kit, but you you actually hit something and thought, oh, I've got something here.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I don't think, there was no eureka moment in terms of think I've got something here. I remember being at school and I was in the metalwork class with Mr. Tranter and uh, I had a couple of files. And I was just banging away there on the table and uh, of course he told me to stop it, stop being so ridiculous. And I said, oh no, I'm going to be a drummer, me. And he was like, oh really? And I said, yeah, yeah, cool. And I was just kind of having a play. And um, then I went to see Buzzcocks play in Manchester. And that was the moment, really. Watching John Maher play drums, because I thought punk rock was all about spitting and fighting and being angry. And none of those three... Um, the criteria of what I saw I just saw complete and utter glee yeah. from the people that were playing and John Mars drumming it was such a physical thing it looked so um, it looked beautiful really in what he was doing the way he was moving around the kit and the kit looked gorgeous it was a red premier kit and uh, with paste cymbals and he had a very distinctive way of playing because he's so tall he's about 6'4 and he had the uh, the rack tom was flat and all his cymbals were flat as well and I just thought, that looks so cool. Um, so went home, Mum's knitting needles, on the couch, bashing away on the couch with the knitting needles, pretending I was John Ma yeah. And uh, after a little while of doing that, Mum noticed that it was starting to wear on the corner of the couch. And uh, she said, if your dad sees that, he'll kill you. And I said, well, it might be cheaper to buy a small little drum kit rather than buying a new couch. And she said, yes, unbelievably. Wow. So I went out and got a, a little, a, I got an, an Olympic Premier kit, which was the, the kind of one below the actual Premier kit. Olympic Premier was a, the, the, the cheaper version of the the, the Premier kit. Yeah. Okay. And I uh, and set it up in the bedroom with the record player, put the records on uh, when my dad wasn't in the house, obviously, and yeah. uh, played away to those records.
0: And would that have been...
1: How old would you have been 15 I think. 15 or 16 15 yeah. turning 16
0: yeah so I was in
1: 50 here, yeah and so what were you what were you drumming along to um all banner of bizarre stuff I mean kind of mainly my sisters records um, uh, stuff like uh, a lot of um, northern Soul. Uh, some uh, I, I remember playing along to uh, 2001 a Space Odyssey which is not a really kind of <laughs> Drumming track, yeah. drumming album, yeah. um, um, because it was from the, uh, the from the album uh, from the um, from the film, yeah. and uh, uh, Genesis. What else was the? Um, oh, I remember there was one uh, a bit of Queen, and uh, I can't remember his name, but it was it was an awful album. But it was uh, oh I rem- um Baker Street. I remember playing that over and over again. Yeah. Um, but mainly yeah I mean just a very odd kind of diverse uh, kind of styles of music Leo Sayer that's who I was playing along to so obviously these weren't my records these were just the yes. records that were in the house for somebody to be able to play along to and my next-door neighbour Paul Green he picked up the guitar at the same time
0: mm-hmm.
1: so we moved the drum kit into the shed and he came round from next door and uh my dad had an old lathe in there so there was power to it so we set up his guitar amp yeah. and we uh started a band called amphetamine sulfate nice yeah nice name <laughs> well i think it was just i think we were trying to think of something that would just annoy and upset people yeah, yeah. uh you know being 15 16 getting into punk and just of trying course. to be a bit uh, rebellious yeah, so yeah, yeah. And, and i remember trying to find out what the the, 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 the numbering of it was, I think it was ASO2, Amphetamine I'm, I'm Sulfate and I thought I'll have that on my bass drum. I never did, because we didn't even do any gigs, it was just all in our heads really about you know storming the charts and, and that kind of thing. I think
0: most first bands. I of course, them. yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's important hmm. um, And I think, because um, some, some, I'm, I'm a sax player and, and I, I would choose records to play, because I did the same kind of thing, play along to records. Um, And they wouldn't necessarily be the stuff that I was into, but it was stuff where the the, the, you could hear yourself above things, or you could, or for me, the tuning. Sometimes in a in a mix, the the sax would be, or the 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 guitar would be slightly sharp or slightly flat, but you'd find something that was. Bob on, right. so I think "Stand By Me" was one—the John Lennon version. I used to just put that on repeat right. and repeat and just improvise all around. Right.
1: So, so you didn't play along to Baker Street, I thought, with the sax in no, that. No, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't <'cause laughs> it would have been perfect.
0: I, I did a lot to um, "Dark Side of the Moon," right. and because that was in the right, the right kind of key, and uh, but but yeah. So so you were just finding records that you just anything basically. Well it, it was anything sort of until
1: around. I bought um, my first album which was another music in a different kitchen. Yeah. Um, I remember going down, they had a, a promotion for it on there, I think it was Newton Street where the old Virgin Records used to be in Manchester and I uh, went down there and there uh, and got that album and that was it then, it was just every single day, uh, well <laughs> when my dad wasn't there obviously yeah. but yeah. as much as I could just playing along to Buscocks.
0: Yeah, and so so it kind of felt right to you. you. You knew that that was your instrument. Yeah, well I I think also well look,
1: I, I think because I could get something out of it straight away,
0: mm. rather yeah. than
1: learning violin or learning cello or something like that and taking years and years and years before it actually sounds you know as though you're not going to um, make everybody you know scream and shout. It, the rhythm of it I found quite easy, and I found uh, I found that. Uh, yeah, quite easy to, to, to get a rhythm out of the kit. It wasn't something that I found very difficult.
0: And you found that you had a kind of internal metronome anyway.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it certainly didn't keep in time, but it was a metronome of sorts. Yeah, yeah A pulse, yeah, I would have thought, again. A limp. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It wasn't very uh, strictly in time, because when I first joined the first proper band, a punk band called The Hoax when I was still 16, uh, the idea of playing... Strictly in Time wasn't really that uh, a concern of of anybody in the band. It was just about the excitement of playing together. And as long as it sounded tight, whether it sped up or slowed down, as long as we all did it together and we all sped up and slowed down at the same time, it was kind of accepted. And again, I was only 16, so it wasn't as though I'd been... Learning percussion, or I'd, I'd done any, any music at school. I mean, I did the recorder when I was probably about 10, yeah. and that's about the only musical instrument that I'd, if you call it an instrument, but that's the only musical endeavours I'd had mm. when I was a kid. So playing the drums, it just felt kind of quite easy and natural to me, and it wasn't as though, again, I had to kind of really work hard at doing things. I could get a rhythm out of it pretty much straight away. So mm. when I started, when I joined that first punk band, The Hoax, that was just really easy. It felt, felt easy anyway.
0: Yeah. And did, so you you were playing along with records first, and then you were you were in, into uh, the hoax. Um, did you do any practice, or was it kind of all on the on the job? You know, were you, you doing your paradiddles and all that kind of stuff?
1: I didn't do any paradiddles. didn't even know what a paradiddle was. Wasn't interested. Uh, I was just interested in playing drums uh, with the band. And you know, to be honest with you. That's never changed, really. Um, I remember sitting down and looking at a paradiddle 10, 15 years ago and thinking, what what exactly does that do? Why would I need to learn that? I was wrong in thinking that, because I realised, as I got got a bit older, when it was a bit too late to start thinking (laughs) about that kind of thing, is that, of course, the paradiddle is not only... There's a reason why it's the most well-known, is that it covers so much of your playing, so... You've, you've got a lead with your right, you've got a lead with your left you've got, you've got accents in there and you've got double strokes and single strokes now apart from that, I mean of course there are other variations and, and different um, exercises to do but in terms of how many basses that covers from just one exercise uh, it's, it's a fantastic exercise to do but I found, I found playing drums with a band that's how I kind of learnt to get better yeah. Um, and it's something that I never really... It was never really interested uh, to me, the idea of, of doing uh, things like that, because I didn't use them. I felt as though I'd never used them prior to them being uh, shown to me and saying, well, you know, that's a paradiddle. You, have, have you practised anything like that? And I said, no, because I just didn't feel as though I needed to in, in the way in the music that I was playing. Yeah. The music that I was playing, there were no paradiddles. Yeah. So, And I thought that you had to literally use a paradiddle with your playing when in yeah. fact it's not that. And that's something that I, I, I kind of regret now because I didn't realize that it's just about your prowess in yeah. terms of uh, being able to play uh, lots of different styles and lots of different exercises so that when you do come play whatever you want, it's a bit easier yeah. because you you you're kind of conditioning your hands and because there were so many things that I wanted to do and I still feel that now sometimes when I, sit, I get behind the kit now and there's something I want to do But my hands are just going, sorry, can't do that, pal. Uh, You know, that's something that's just out of our league. and Because you've never told us how to do that. And you've not sat down there for hours and hours practicing that. You can't just do that. I suppose you can talk about anything, really, in terms of whether, even if it's, I don't know, whether it's running, playing snooker. You know, the reason why those professional snooker players practice for six and eight hours a day is to, is to get better at it. Yeah. Whereas that's something that never really entertained me, the idea of sitting down for hours and hours a day. I never do, I've never done it, and I never will.
0: Yeah. I, I can't remember who I was speaking to. It was a, a drummer f- as part of this project, and they were talking about listening to Ringo, and one tune in particular, and I can't remember which one it was. But they were trying to work out how he did this fill, and they couldn't for the life of them work out how he did it and got back to... The, you know the, the, the regular beat and then realized he 's left handed he 's left handed and he 's leading with a different his left hand he 's not okay. leading with his, with his right hand Oh, okay and, uh, and that was why he was able to get back right To, to well things was, like like
1: with the paradiddles when you 're going around on the kit and then you feel you know that the left hand is is, is going to hit that symbol well if you put in a double on the left then you 're going to end up <coughs> on your right, so those kind of things. Okay. It, it, it didn't really kind of injure... I, I never thought it was like a shortcut or anything. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I found, like I said, I, I didn't really feel as though there was... There were, it helped my playing anyway. I was wrong in thinking that. Um, but it never... I, I never not got a gig or I never... If, if somebody was saying, well, you know, unfortunately your drum's just out, your drum drum's not up to scratch, you know, but thanks very much anyway, yeah. then that might have changed everything, but all the bands that I played with have been fine, you know, it's been okay. I mean, must admit though, the early days, early doors with the Smiths was difficult, because of course, I, I mean, I was in a punk band, The Hoax, then I was in a punk band called Victim, and straight after that, I just played punk music, mm. uh, where obviously the timekeeping wasn't that important, which for a drummer, obviously it is, mm. and also touch and feel I'd never really kind of gone down that route in terms yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, 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 of light and dark it had just been three speeds fast faster and the fastest yeah and, and those
0: Smiths that's c- a complete opposite it is real and it,
1: I found it really hard at first really yeah. difficult when I first joined the Smiths in Terms of what was put in front of me, mm. I mean, the first album that was, a, it wasn't all kind of balls out, but I just in rehearsals, I was kind of a very heavy handed player because I was a punk drummer, mm. so it felt quite comfortable playing those songs like that. But when yeah. they started, you know, um, I don't owe you anything, Real Around the Fountain, I was some of the say Real
0: Around the Fountain is really delicate,
1: yeah. And I'm, I'm, I just wasn't a delicate player, that's just not how I played. <laughs> And I found that quite difficult, really. Small little trills and little kind of delicate fills and things like that, because I'd never done anything like that before. And I found that quite tough, especially when you consider the the musical prowess of Andy and Johnny. Mm. Because you know, people talk about the Smiths, the band. It was only a three piece musically. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, you can argue whether the voice is an instrument. Of course, it's an instrument, but in terms of your instrument that you plug in and you play I mean you, know, you don't do that with the drums but in terms of the music that was put down before the vocals were put on again recognised as a musical instrument in itself mm-hmm. it was just a three piece yeah. um, and Andy's bass playing was absolutely phenomenal I mean his his upbringing was a lot of funk, uh, Neil Young and, and, and some really great playing and same with Johnny so I was kind of out on a limb really in terms of I felt as though I was, and sometimes it did feel as though I was struggling a bit. But mm. hey, you know, I was there from the beginning, and I was there at the end. So yeah, exactly, and you know, I mean, I, I I don't know whether, you know, when you when you when I see live, see some of the gigs that I, there's not that many actually that you, that are online, but when I do see them, it sounds great. So, did
0: mm. did you feel like um, through throughout the the course of the Smiths, there was a point where you did feel? A part of it, and and you not a part of it, but you you clicked and gone right. Okay, I can handle this. this is, well, no, this I
1: just felt more comfortable in my plane. I don't yeah. think there was a moment when I thought, "Yes, I've arrived." I just yeah. think it, it was it was more of a, an organic kind of thing of of that I learned because I had to learn pretty quick. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, it wasn't mentioned to me, but I think there was there was a few rumblings at first of you know, is my can, can Mike do this? Can he cut this? Mm. Can he do it? Can he, can he hack some of these kind of, you know, tunes that really need that soft, deft touch, which I didn't have? And I can understand that completely.
0: And you heard that after the fact? Or uh, yes, the yes. No,
1: not at the time. No, right. nobody mentioned anything to me. Because, um, I, I mean, I was just wasn't that confident, really. And I think if they would have mentioned it to me, my confidence probably would have gone <laughs> down even, you know, further. Yeah. I think, again, because the challenge was so great, and it all happened so quickly, it wasn't over a five, ten-year period. Yeah. It was week by week, and because Johnny's writing was so, it was so prolific yeah. that it was new tunes every week that were coming about and new ideas, and, and
0: different as well, and different,
1: really different of radically different. And I think you know that's what I'm saying. It was, if you're in a punk band, you play punk drumming and punk songs. If you're in a reggae band, it's reggae drumming, yeah. and if you're in a jazz band, it's jazz. And if you can play jazz, it's fine. You know, if they start asking you to play um, speed metal you're going to struggle and that's, that's the, uh, kind of, uh, the analogy really, yeah, yeah. because it was so varied, I mean that was the beauty of the Smiths of course, but I had to learn kind of quite quickly and obviously if I hadn't come up with the goods then we wouldn't be talking about it now, uh, yeah. because although we were good friends and we were mates, the records came first. If I wasn't going to kind of come up with the, the the goods, then I think there would have been somebody else drafted in. Yeah. So I must have come up with the goods, because uh, well, you can hear it on the records. Yeah. Um, I mean, sometimes there were sometimes. I think it was Shakespeare's sister when we recorded that, because for some reason I decided. I mean, it's a kind of rockabilly beat anyway, but I decided to play this very very fast pattern on the hi hats and with these very complicated fills, really.
0: Young ones grown and the rocks below say throw your skinny body down son," But I'm gonna meet the one
1: It sounded great in rehearsals and then when it got bit with the click track and kind of playing it i really struggled and that was i think that was the most difficult session that we ever did because i remember john porter and it was like you know i mean how long do we have to wait before mike can nail this you know it's, uh, is he gonna nail it and we did eventually and when yeah. we did the relief from all was palpable you know it was like yeah. thank god for that but it was such a
0: complicated drum part never for never me it, so now you've got to play it live
1: yeah well live was fine <laughs> Live was okay, it was, I think it was a little bit more pressure, I felt more pressure during the recording process, especially in the early days, I mean obviously when we got to uh, Queenie's Dead, um, Strange Ways, I didn't, I mean obviously I felt a bit of pressure because I wanted it to be fantastic, I wanted Mm. it to be great but... You know, kind of 84, 85, it, it was kind of a little bit more like, wow, this is going to be committed to tape forever and people There's will be no talking about places, it. Are, no, it. absolutely right, not. So
0: let's just uh, separate that and just listen to the drums. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and you know, because I always used to get, I'm well, not upset, but I, I used to, uh, upset's the complete wrong word. I used to get a bit frustrated in that, obviously mine was the tape that had to go down from beginning to end perfect, whereas Andy had fluff a bass note, you know, Johnny had wouldn't play, would be happy with the guitar and then they'd always like overdub, always uh, overdub afterwards and yeah. I was so frustrated thinking, I wish I could do that, yeah. that would be so fantastic It had to be, be beginning, middle and end yeah. and you know, the best take ever Yeah. and you know, sometimes, you know, in the studio, I'd, I would get, I'd, I'd get frustrated and again, talking about before, about those frustrations not being apparent with a punk band because little little kind of things that don't go right it doesn't matter it's a punk record people are listening to more about the, the flavour of it and the, the execu- not the execution more about the, the feel of the record mm. rather than is that snare just slightly out there yeah. because especially with John Porter because he was you know he'd worked with such phenomenal musicians and as a producer mm. uh, I was in awe of him uh, really as a, as a player but as a producer as well because he, he you know it had to be right you know it had to be absolutely right and most of the well the bands that i played in before like i said it wasn't that important i mean obviously it had to sound good mm. but sounding good's different than from being absolutely perfect tonight like, doesn't it slightly speed up there well it might do but how many people are going to listen to that and go hold on a minute it's just a set a click track there and, and from the choruses and just like it does it goes up 2 BPM there Yeah. you know I just didn't really kind of I wasn't, wasn't listening to those things but I mean obviously I'm glad that John Porter was there to kind of make sure that those things were right you know of course because it's, it's, it was essential really in terms of also for because it helped me in terms of my playing because especially later on when 'Cause there was no click tracks, you see, and then when the click tracks were introduced, I was like, What, what do I do here? You know, do because I was listening to the click track I and mean, that's what you shouldn't do. Yeah. You should just play. <coughs> and the yeah. click track you can hear the click track yeah. and just play. Mm. But listening to it and having to speed up and slow down and because I, I found that quite difficult at first, but you know, again, like I said, I got used to it eventually. Yeah,
0: yeah. And so how would you describe your your drumming style? Do you think you have
1: uh, heavy yeah. heavy and hard and straight um, one thing that I've, I was talking at the Manchester Drum Show about this because um, you see I see players playing the most incredibly complex patterns and the most intricate patterns and it's something that it's never really entertained me as a player I'd, I, I like to I like to play a rhythm that works well with the guitar and the bass and the vocals yeah. that's it and I don't like to encroach on the song either. I don't like to... Somebody sent a tweet not long ago saying that uh, they had been listening to Smith's records and they said, none of your drums stand out. And I, I sent them a tweet back saying, I think that's meant to be a, a, a disparaging remark, but to be honest with you, that's a compliment. Yeah, I take that as a compliment. I don't want my drums to stand out. I really yeah. don't want them to stand out anywhere. You know, I mean, you listen to Charlie Watts on... Pretty much every record great drums but do they stand out i don't think they do yeah. some lovely drumming on it but yeah. you don't get many of the joe public saying oh check out that hi-hat work that charlie watts is doing That is superb they don't because it's just drums a bit of drums that work with the track yeah. and that's kind of how i felt my contribution was to the to the music was a rhythm that was behind the music that was kind of in the music but the backbeat that wasn't encroaching on on what uh, you know the on the on the vocal and wasn't encroaching on the guitar part it blended in yeah. so invariably it was quite a simple drum beat and that's what I do I like to play drums I don't I don't kind of see myself as 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 challenging in terms of um wow you know well this is a really complex pattern that I'm going to play behind that uh, it just never really entered my head I just kind of played along to what I was hearing mm-hmm. and 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 sometimes they stand out a little bit more than others, and sometimes they don't. Yeah. Um, say there's say a track like There Is A light That Never Goes Out, very simple playing. I've had drummers come up to me and say, you know, that drum beat is perfect. And uh, I had the drummer from Faith and More come up to me at a gig and say the intro to Reel Around the Fountain. He said it's one of the most beautiful intros he's ever heard. It's, it's, anybody could play it, you know, a monkey could play it. But that's but the. But you did. Well, I did. And I think, you know, I mean, I didn't think at the time, right? Oh, keep it simple, nice and simple, nice and simple. Yes, here we go. I just played a beat that I thought would fit the song.
0: Yeah. But there's a lightness in that, and, and just that. There's just a, a lightness to it, which. Well, there's something.
1: Well, somebody said to. It, well, they didn't say it to me. it was, it was um, uh, Radiohead recording the Headmaster Ritual, and it's just them in the studio recording. It wasn't released because somebody sent me a link to it and said, Have you seen this? It's great. Anyway, Tom York put it up, and he said, You know, Phil, the drummer, Phil Selway, he said, He's got the Mike Joyce thing down to a T. And I just didn't, I don't know what the Mike Joyce thing is. And I watched it and I thought, well, yeah, it was nice drumming, you know, but I mean, he's it's, it's played it, absolutely how exactly how I played it. <laughs> what that Mike Joyce thing is, I don't know. Um, there's, there's, I, mean, I was speaking to lads from Dutch Uncles, Manchester band yeah, a few yeah. weeks ago, and they were saying about the ride symbol on them. Um, some girls are bigger than others at the end. You to that ride symbol at the end it's absolutely lovely and i was like but do you know somebody else has mentioned that i went to the ride symbol because i was bored of playing the hi hat <laughs> i thought i'll go to the ride because it's the outro yeah a bit of ride that'll work nicer. Yeah. and then johnny i think put on a, another little sparkly guitar when that ride comes in which kind of again kind of affects the the overall tone mm. uh that top end really kind of brightens it up for the outro. Yeah, yeah. So. You know, sometimes these things... and Headmaster Ritual you know, the, the drumming on that I remember when we played through that. Uh, and Johnny played the riff da in fact he didn't play as staccato, it was more of a um a softer rhythm. But I played Da 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 and da 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 then of course when it started to get recorded then the overdubs that went on there were more kind of around that rhythm and also when yeah. Morrissey sang the vocal. Da 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 yeah It's actually following my drum part. So what I did there actually kind of created Certain highlights of the song, a little motif in the song. Yeah, yeah. I remember when we when we played it live. Well, actually, I saw him doing it at the Oxford Road show when we played there. It. it wasn't live; it was to a backing track. But he went to he did there. Uh, I think I think it's from uh, from a film that I've seen. Um, uh, I can't remember the name of the film. Great '60s film, and it's and it's it's uh, Mr. Shadrach, It's the uh, you know the, the Billy Lyre I think it is, where yeah. he, he does the machine gun. Uh, to the boss uh behind him and uh I honestly did that to the crowd but to the <makes> Yan- da 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 yeah he went he kind of standing there with with the machine gun going da 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 to the audience. It's very funny, but typical Moz kind of classic kind of move but that was done, I mean, that wasn't, you know, can you play this, Mike, can you play like we want, like da-da-da at the beginning so we mm. can kind of overdo, and that was a little creation that I did, and sometimes those things work and sometimes they don't, and mm. I like to think that, the, and even when I saw Noel Gallagher playing There is a Light at the MEN for the Versus Cancer many years ago, and he did it with orchestration, and uh, the To Die By Your Side, the, I put in just like a little double snare to <toddash> diesa <noise> <laughs> and to pushed it. Yeah. And Morrissey kind of pushed that vocal. And then when he played it, the whole orchestra kind of went da da ba, and then the audience went da 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 yassa. Yeah. And I thought, well, wow, well, there's, you know, I, I could have done that. I could not have done it. I did it. And it's just something that becomes a little, just a tiny little motif rather than doing something that encroaches on yeah. the, 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 the song itself. Just little things. Maybe those are the Mike Joyce things. In fact, yeah. I was listening, I was speaking to Jessica Hoop, yeah, yeah. and she said that they, they played a song in the, in the studio of her last album, and she said, she said uh, to the producer, I want like a, Mike, uh, she, said, uh, she said to me, we played like a song that was influenced by you, and I was like, all oh, right, cool, you know, Then you know, a big Smiths fan, and she said, no, 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 by you. And I said, oh, really? And she said, yeah, I wanted like Mike Joyce sounding drums on it. And I said, oh, okay, and I listened to the track, and I know what she means, I know exactly what she means listening back to it, but it's not something that i was ever, ever been aware of. I don't think, well, yeah. I'll play this because that's a Mike Joyce fill, or I'll play that because that's the kind of how Mike Joyce would play it. It's obviously it's part <coughs> of my style. But
0: well, you couldn't describe <laughs> it, and it's almost that, I, I don't I don't know what it is, but I know it when I hear it. Yeah, like, okay. well,
1: exactly, and when it's pointed out to me, and uh, so people are hearing it, people yeah. are, you know, saying, you know, I get a lot of people saying, you know, I'm a favourite drummer, and I love the, because... There's very few records that were committed down uh, in terms of uh, visuals or uh, recordings, good recordings with the Smiths. Of course, now, there's so many great ways of recording a band rather than having, uh, you know, the, um, the the mobile outside, you hiring the Stones mobile to be able to get a good recording. You can yeah. do it with, with the equipment now, a lot easier and a lot cheaper. Yeah. And, uh, and, of course, when we recorded uh, Rank, Album, the live album that was recorded at the National Kilburn in in, uh, the National Bowling in Kilburn. Mm. Um, That's probably the best uh, indication of how we sounded as a band because it was recorded really well Mm. Uh, and it sounds fantastic. I'm really happy with the drums on that. So that's what people were hearing, you know, each gig. So, uh, yeah, and people say to me, you know, point it out to me and say, I never saw the Smiths, but you're drumming in those tracks is, is absolutely phenomenal and especially for stuff like um, i know it's over where there is com- virtual silence uh, in, in the songs you know johnny's just kind of playing very much kind of just brush strokes and, uh, with the chords and andy's playing a, a, it's not even a peddling bass line he's just playing doo-dum, 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 doo-dum. And there's a lot of space, and I'm playing very sparse. But of course, the outro is, is quite a big outro. So, and then, and there's a lot of work on the symbols. But again, not kind of nothing technical, but it sounds great. You know, yeah. if I may say so, no, no, I don't no, just mean no. my playing. I just meant the whole thing sounds great.
0: That's part of what I think. Most drummers try to do it's not about when they play, it's about when they choose not to play, and even well, those gaps where other players can breathe and do their thing, and just being sensitive to playing
1: right. Well, for me, it was more important because obviously, I mean, I've used that before with kind of the funk thing, isn't it? You know, with the bass lines, especially, yeah. you know, um, but really, it was just about what works with the guitar because a lot of people, as well, when they're talking about rhythm sections. Talking about the drummer and the bass player, the drummer and the bass player being tight. Myself and Andy, we never played together really. Mm. It was, because Andy's bass lines were melodies in themselves. We were Mm. tight Mm. with each other, but we didn't really concentrate that much on making it tight. We just were. Uh, I played with Johnny and me and Johnny used to play all the time together when we were on stage um, and obviously in the recordings. Uh, I was going with the guitar, and, and Johnny pointed out to me that's what Keith Richards and, and Charlie Watts used to do as well, because yeah. uh, Wyman used to play his bass lines, obviously, and Charlie and, and Keith would play together, and, and myself and Johnny used to play together, in, in, in terms of riffs, because that's what I was just I was mainly following the guitar riffs yeah. and trying to embellish those and trying to add something to those,
0: mm, which then Morrissey would kind of embellish as well, yeah. kind of take it to yeah. this, Um, Right, I'm aware you need to get uh, to your car. There's one last question that um, I'm asking all all the drummers. So if you've got yourself a DeLorean and you can go back in time and either give yourself a bit of advice or give yourself a bit of reassurance or or, or there's something that you've only just realised and go, I wish I'd known that. Um, What do you reckon? I think
1: it would be to put more hours in, more time in terms of my playing. Uh, because the frustrations sometimes are so great but I know that (laughs) there's a way to deal with that and that's to practice Mm. and I didn't you know so it wasn't as I mean I've you know I haven't got enough room on my walls to put the discs up so I did something right Yeah. yeah. but it wasn't enough at the time for me to actually hunker down and and sit down and really kind of uh, work on it but then again I was speaking to a a drummer about this the other day and they said yeah but Mike if you would have done that you wouldn't have started like you did so it's, it's a frustration but I think it's something that uh, if I would have kind of become like incredibly complex and proficient then I might have kind of changed my style of drumming and then the dismiss might have said, because if I would have been yeah. playing for four years before I went in for that first rehearsal. Uh, with, with Dale, even before Andy Rope was even in the picture and, and with Dale and Johnny and Morrissey and I met them for the first time and played if I was incredibly complex and playing lots of really tricky fills and stuff they might have said, well thanks very much, okay, next Yeah. so it's a, it's a strange one to go back and kind of change things I'm perfectly happy with the playing on every record yeah. uh, that's one of the great things I, I don't look back at records and think I should have I gone a double time there. Yeah. Or I should have, I should have, you know, I, I, I should have done, you know, that should have been on the on the fours instead of the twos and the fours, or that should have been a side stick, or that, I'm absolutely delighted with everything that I've done. I think, I think one thing maybe, bar, because obviously I completely negated that first one, <laughs> I think would be to enjoy it more. Because we did enjoy it, but just realize, but you're a kid. Yeah, yeah. you don't realise just how important and how groundbreaking it is because none of us did I don't think of course everybody wants to be in a band that does well everybody wants to be in a band that's successful everybody wants to be in a band that's playing in front of bigger bigger and bigger crowds everybody wants to sell loads of records everyone wants to be number one everyone wants great reviews of course you do you're mad if you're not well you, you wouldn't be in a band otherwise you're not thinking oh well that'll do you just want it to be and then because it happened with the Smiths so quickly that at the time and I suppose it's not a regret but you can kind of everybody can say this like whether it's when we recorded like There Is The Light That Never Goes Out we thought it was a great song I don't think any of us realised just the impact that would have as is when we went and had the photographs taken outside Salford Lads Club it was a photo session and it was great it was bloody cold but it was great and it looks good yeah it's a photo I didn't realise it'd be in the National Portrait Gallery 35 years time so those kind of things I think you know, and when I think about say something like Woody Woodmansey who I love is playing I don't think he did either you're just up there you're doing it you're getting paid you're enjoying yourself and you're with your mates and you're enjoying it I think to be able to go back and just do it again but knowing exactly what we're creating because here we are 30 odd years on and the Smiths are still talked about the Smiths really? still, still people talk about how influential they were and are and how important they are to them and that the knowledge of knowing that, I think that would be because then it would be but how could it be any more precious? No. So I've just completely negated that one as well.
0: No, that's
1: fine. You're <laughs> allowed to. you're allowed to so I don't do you know there's nothing I think really. I mean I, I'm just kind of busking it here obviously because there's nothing that I've thought of yeah that niggles me or plays on my mind and thinking if only if only I mean there's other things that I, you know, uh, I, outside of playing and drumming that I, I, I might have changed, but not in terms of, not not being in the band, not playing drums, not playing with bands, because even after the Smiths, post-Smiths, I played with some absolutely fantastic artists. I mean, I got, I got to play with Buzzcocks, yeah. which was the reason why I started playing in the first place. Yeah. To have that was just, I mean, it was on par with the Smiths for me, because, you know, Buzzcocks were my life. Uh, They meant everything to me, and then playing with Public Image Limited. I mean, you know, it's Johnny Rotten in the band. You know, I mean, I was ten years prior to that, fifteen years prior to that, I was dancing around to those records with spiked hair and boots and a leather jacket and bondage pants. You know, so to be actually on stage playing those records. You know, it couldn't, and then of course with Sinead O'Connor and then Julian Cope. I mean, all this, you know, Pete Wiley from WA, all these bands that I'd seen, you know, and I'd been like, wow, to get to play with those artists, you know, it was very difficult to kind of change anything really.
0: Yeah, regrets are only there if you're not happy with where you are at the moment. Absolutely. so That's brilliant. Cheers, Chris. Thanks, man. Thank you. I was only joking when I said I'd like to mash every tooth in your head oh, 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 sweetness, sweetness I was only joking when I said I'd like to So there we go. Episode one of the Flashbang Wallop podcast. Thank you so much to Mike, for um, making time. I've known Mike for a few years now and every time I see him he's just full of infectious energy and uh, stories and fun and so yeah it was great to sit down with him for a while and and just chew the fat about drumming and the Smiths. Um, Yeah, A few thank yous, Uh, thank you to Arts Council England for helping make this podcast possible. And for their ongoing support. And also for their ongoing support, thank you very much to Home Manchester and to Collect Murray for her production assistance. And also to Gabriel Payne, 10 year old Gabriel Payne, my son, who composed all of the music that you hear at the start and you're just about to hear again at the end thank you very much young man uh yes so thank you for downloading the podcast um subscribe like if you want and yeah we'll have another one same time next week see you then bye